When you say air pollution, the first things that may come to mind include carbon monoxide, lead, particulates, and factory or industry waste, the stuff we breathe outside. But the air we breathe inside is often much more important. Indoor air quality can be two to five times as polluted as outdoor air, thanks to dangers like smoke, thinking of my chain-smoking grandmother, mold, cleaning chemicals, various particulates, and as we learned the hard way from COVID, airborne illness. Factor in the estimates from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency that Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors, and it's safe to say the air inside our homes, schools, factories, and businesses is worth a closer look. With me today is Ronan Cooney, Head of Product at Ambisense. Hi, Ronan. Welcome to The Tech Between Us. Hey, Raymond. Thanks for having me. To start us off, please, can you tell us a little bit about what Ambisense does? Yeah, sure. So Ambisense is an environmental analytics company based in, in Dublin and Ireland. So we develop our own indoor air quality monitoring uh, devices, and we use that with other data sources such as weather data, maybe occupancy data and, and other data that's being gathered within buildings and try and go more beyond the raw data. So trying to you know, give more around ventilation performance, thermal performance, drivers of things like condensation, damp and mold, air change rates and things like that. So so using sort of machine learning and, and analytical tools to give customers a, a deeper dive into their environments that they occupy. So air quality is just a component of what you guys take into consideration when you're looking at overall, how are we doing there? Yeah, exactly. There's so many drivers to the environments that people occupy. So energy obviously becomes a, a big part of that as well. So so we do use different third party devices, for example, as well to gather some other data that might be contextual. So again, it's all down to budgets of customers and what they really want to do and how far they want to go with it. But we're all about, you know, IoT devices in general and trying to give, like I said, that, that best rounded picture of the environments. So when most people think about air quality, it seems like outdoor air quality is more top of mind. Is the concept of indoor air quality in offices and homes and warehouses, is that a new concept or is how long has that been around? I think it's always been around, Raymond. At a most basic level, really, temperature and humidity are the most basic. So everyone has been in those buildings where you're you're sitting in a drafty spot or you're getting chills or too hot and you're sitting beside a window and the sun's beating in on you and you're, you're sweating at your desk. So I think it's always been there to a degree, but I think it, with things like COVID, it's just increased more so and, and the real focus on it now and things like carbon dioxide, so CO2 coming into the mix. Um, and I think people are a bit more aware of what that means and the impacts around that. And then you're getting into things like particulate matter and VOCs, so volatile organic compounds and their impact if you're trying to go deeper. So I think it's yes and no. It's always been there, but yeah, there's definitely much more of a focus on it, I think, the last few years uh, driven by COVID, I think. I completely agree. And I think that's where we heard a lot of it is in all the reporting on COVID and the distancing and so on and so forth. I read a really interesting statistic as I was preparing for this. The US EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, had a report out that said indoor air quality can be two to five times as bad as outdoor air quality. I mean, that blew me away. <laughs> it's a scary fact, I suppose, when you see it. But if you just nearly logically think about it, if you've got the outdoor area and the space that you're in and the toxins stuff that are there dispersed over such a big area, if you pull all that into a building, close it off with very poor ventilation, all you're doing is really condensing it. So it's around design, I suppose. If you have the wrong filters in the place, you don't have enough ventilation. 
And, you know, people are, are generating these things themselves. Obviously, you know, CO2 and we're breathing out. So if you go into a space and just the, the temperature of having bodies in a room is increasing, CO2 is increasing, we're moving around, particulates are probably increasing. Then you're pulling in, you know, again, in a very polluted city, potentially pulling in outdoor pollutants into that space. It can be a, <laughs> a bit of a scary place to be in, I suppose. But um, I think that's the trouble, I suppose, has always been that people can't see it. So they don't know that it's bad. That brings up an interesting point. Luckily, you know, a lot of workplaces, at least, have banned smoking in the workplace. My grandmother used to chain smoke in her house. And so I'm sure that was a, you know, considerable contributor to her poor air quality. What other types of things can contribute? I mean, you mentioned, you know, particulates and people moving around. Things like mold and whatnot, are those significant contributors to poor air quality or is it primarily like bringing air in from outside? It's all factors. If you have very polluted outdoor air quality and you're pulling that into a building through a mechanical ventilation system or, or just naturally ventilated, you know, naturally ventilated, there's no filters involved, so it's going to be bad. If you have the wrong filters in place and you're pulling in air quality from outside, and all those little particulates are getting through the system and they're not being filtered out, that's not going to be good either. But temperature and humidity and CO2 is being generated by people. So they're the first sort of thing. But then you're getting into like the carpeting in a building. As people move through it, it can kick up dust and particulates. Got it. Okay. The carpet itself, what it's made of, can generate VOCs. And then you get into like cleaning products. How are the different surfaces being cleaned? And it can generate different uh, VOCs as well. So there's a huge range of things that you need to be aware of, I think, within the building and consider all those combined to really have an idea. And I think that's obviously where we think we, we need to come in is to provide the data to show people that because, again, you can't see it. You don't know how good or bad it is in a space. And a lot of it can come back to even the design of the building. So that the design versus the real-time performance of a building can be chalk and cheese, you know, very, very different depending on the way the space is being used. Right. And it sounds like a more crowded space, like here at Bowser, we've got a series of cubicles. Something like that would probably have potentially poor air quality than maybe like an open environment or, or something like this, more sparsely populated. Yeah, it can, when you're putting in, I guess, dividers and things that you're going against, in a lot of cases, the design of the building. So an architect would have gone in and said, well, the air is going to flow from A to B. And then you put a barrier in the middle of that and you've disrupted that airflow potentially in it. Or you put in new walls that weren't there originally in the original design. So all that airflow can be disrupted. If you're not monitoring it, you don't know what that impact is anymore and how is it really performing. So really important to monitor it. Okay. Yeah. The things that may not be considered when trying to fit X number of people into X square footage. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's big consideration. And especially these days, it's it's hard to know with people coming, you know, work from home more and maybe in their office some days. And do they tend to gravitate towards certain areas than others or how well are they spread out? So all those things kind of a big factor. If somebody faints and falls over, okay, that's a pretty obvious sign of potential poor air quality. But what other sort of health issues can be caused by poor air quality? Yeah, so down to the basics, I suppose, again, with temperature, it's just general discomfort. So people just don't like being in a certain spot and they're too hot or too cold, stuff like that. Then you're getting into humidity levels 
and mould, say very high humidity potentially in a space. And that mould obviously breeding it in long term. It's always a long term being in these spaces and environments, you know, a considerable amount. I think we spend over 90% of our time indoors these days. So these environments are going to have a big impact on us long term. So you got your CO2 as well, then productivity just goes out the window. We've all been in those meetings where you've 10 people for two hours talking about something and everyone starts slumping over and falling asleep and, and things like that. And that's the CO2. There's not enough ventilation in that space. And we've seen it so often at, at boardroom level. So you've the biggest, you know, top level executives in a company in this room, they're not thinking clearly because the CO2 is so high in there. Maybe the ventilation is so poor and they're making big decisions, big costs for the company and, and everything like that. Those rooms should really have the, the best that they can get to make sure that they are clear of thought when they're making the big decisions. <laughs> I used to blame jet lag for me dozing off in meetings. Now it's going to be poor air indoor air quality. <laughs> well, is that's, it's a good example though, Raymond, you know, an airplane is probably the ultimate scenario where you're going on even a one or two hour flight and everyone's asleep nearly because the CO2 is, is so hard to ventilate a plane sufficiently. That was a scenario that I never even considered in a lot of these meetings were at capacity, even the bigger meeting rooms. I never thought about that. We are breathing, you're increasing the CO2 content and the ventilation may not be optimal. That's it. And the step one, again, is the data. You need the information to show you how good or bad it is. Again, there's no point spending a huge amount of money putting in a new ventilation system and, and doing all this work when you don't know what the cost is. And the monitors are so cheap, really, these days to monitor the indoor air quality. There's no real reason for people not to do that as a first step data and then put a plan in place about rolling it out. It doesn't have to be immediate. Again, we're looking at long term effects. So unless it's at dangerously high levels, it's something that you can budget for over an extended period of time. So obviously you guys have worked all over the world, all over Europe. What sort of governmental regulations do you guys have to meet when you're installing a new system? Or are there any, are there any specific regulations? So in, in Ireland, we're actually quite progressive at the minute. The Health and Safety Authority in Ireland have just actually released this year new regulations around uh, the quality of air in the workplace. So very focused on the workplace. And there is a risk assessment that companies need to run. I'd say probably a lot of companies in Ireland maybe don't even realise this at the moment. It's so new, but there are regulations there now that every year they'll need to submit some sort of risk assessment that the ventilation has been at least looked at. And the same in the UK, the health and safety executive over there, the HSE, have regulations relating to workplace health and safety. And they have gone a bit further. So they're looking at five to eight litres per second per person in a space and that that should be supplied at all times. So we get into Europe, mainland Europe, it's a bit more into guidelines and practices. So it's more advisory. But I think, you know, the regulations are coming and everything that we've seen over the last few years is going to probably tighten up more and more. And as people understand these spaces and what's achievable, because again, I think the government were always reluctant to bring in regulations when... 90% of buildings mightn't achieve that standard all of a sudden, you know, so there, there'd be a panic. So I, I think since since COVID, they, they've seen the data now a bit more and they, they know what's going on. They go, OK, we need to set goals and get people to push on to try and achieve those things. And that's what they're doing. So it's it's great to see. And I think it's about time that it's been brought in. Yeah, hopefully those regulations just continue. 
Yeah, same with the U.S. I mean, there are recommendations, there are guidelines from different organizations, from different governmental entities, but there are no true regulations saying that you must meet this uh, in this sort of environment, in this sort of building. To your point, I think having that data hopefully will drive them to a better understanding of what the air quality is inside an office or inside of a warehouse or whatever it may be. And then maybe from there, the regulation may result. Yeah. And I think it's the confidence as well in the technology, like IoT devices still are in a lot of people's minds, at least relatively new and the accuracy that they have. And then the cost of obviously implementing some of these systems gets a lot of people nervous. And as a boss, you say, oh, it's another cost to your business, but they have to really look at the benefits. And I think that's it. Like the, the benefits of introducing these things far outweigh the cost of implementing it. If you have a serious absenteeism problem because people are constantly sick because they're coming into the office and there is some issue there around maybe VOCs or something that's driving long-term health issues and litigation comes down the line from that. And that's the biggest fear of, of any company that somebody comes and sues them for huge amounts of money down the line because there's no real excuse anymore that I didn't have the data. I didn't know that this was an issue. It's out there now. So as an employer, it's up to you to go and implement these things. Yeah. And to your point earlier, I think COVID has really heightened the awareness of companies on the workplace and safety and health in the workplace to where hopefully these things become top of mind and they're able to use data to be able to make a change in whether it's ventilation or something within the workplace. Yeah, it's never really had the coverage, I suppose, at national TV level the last couple of years. A lot of very outspoken people around and the changes that are needed, which is great to see. And, you know, it's no surprise, really, that the regulation has to catch up and, 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 and get to the level that it needs to be. But we are seeing that and there's a real drive for it and a real appetite, I think, as well. And especially younger people, I think, a bit more are starting to ask those sort of questions of, like, what is your indoor air quality policy in work? You know, what have you done to implement? things since COVID that to make sure I'm safe when I get in there and I'm not going to be sick all the time. People don't want, obviously, long-term health issues. So they need an answer from an employer. And it's a very awkward question if you're in an interview, you ask the employer and they get a bit nervous. Employers really need to step up and take it seriously. And there's huge amounts of benefits just in the, the productivity of the people that are in those spaces now. And they're clearer of mind, like we spoke about. They're making better decisions, be more productive, less days off, sick. And, and, and the cost of that, the savings they can make from that alone is way more than the, the cost of implementing these things. And with so many people working from home, a lot of that's got to trickle down into the home. And I'm not sure if you guys have seen more people using your services or using similar services for their actual homes where they now work eight hours a day and then obviously live the rest of the time. To be honest, we haven't seen it to a huge amount, but we're working with some big corporations, some of the big US tech companies at the moment on on some projects directly relating to that. So it's going to be getting a bit blurry now of what is your company responsible for? Are they responsible for the air quality of your house? Because they're expecting you to work remotely now. Uh, Okay, interesting. So where does that lie now? Okay, the office, that's theirs. Definitely, they have to take responsibility from that. But if you go, okay, I'm in a little cramped room and there's no ventilation, there's no windows... You know, who takes responsibility for it? My house is not big enough to have a different office or some nice leather seat, you know, and a nice big desk and everything that we all wish we had at home. The realities can be very different of at a kitchen table with other people in the family potentially working in the same environment. And so where does that 
line finish for a company is becoming very blurred. And I think those big corporations are seeing that and they're trying to get ahead of it. And they're trying to put in different things in place to help with that and make sure that they are responsible. At least, again, at least they know what's happening there and then decide whether they can do something about it. And as engineers, it all starts with the data, knowing what the environment is like and having that data collected and analyzed. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, without the data, you're making blind decisions. And again, we've seen it. Companies go and, oh, we thought we had an air quality issue. So we went and we put in this $100,000 or euro ventilation system. And then you're going to go, it's not actually that bad, you know. And (laughs) (laughs) they they go, "Uh oh, you know, who made that decision? They're low cost these days, devices. So just put them in there, get the data, have a look, and then come up with a plan and a policy. I think that's always step one for a lot of these things. It's like sustainability these days. If you need a policy and a policy will drive it through the company and the CEO right down needs to be very clear on their priority and the priority that they're putting on air quality and the environments that they want their staff to work with. When the indoor air quality is very good, you're showing your employees that they're important to you. Right, that you have to care. Yeah, exactly. And your customers, you know, if you're in a, a shop or a store or whatever and customers are coming in and out, they're potentially affected by if it was very bad indoor air quality. So it's worth them promoting it, you know, when it is good. We used to put different stickers and stuff like that up in, in different people's windows uh, in their business to show it's being monitored all the time and, you know, that they care. And, and universities was a big one for us. So we've had a couple of universities where we have devices deployed. And again, you're looking at people in very cramped sort of areas trying to learn and trying to be clear of thought that they can get the most out of the courses that they're doing. So that ventilation should be really, really, really high on the priority list of those spaces. But in most cases, sadly, it's not. That's an area that I'm not sure if it's thought of a lot when you're thinking of where you work and where you live, your homes and your offices. But the kids are in school six to 10 hours a day, depending on the day. And you're right. It's got to be as pristine as possible to create that better learning environment. But also long term, these kids are in school some of these school buildings for five, six years at a time. Yeah. And I don't know what it's like in the US, but I know in Ireland, a lot of the school buildings are can be very old, very old stone buildings. So ventilation wasn't really ever a consideration there. And again, with COVID, it was a huge driver. You know, all the schools were closed, the amount of education that people lost out on. And the experience, I feel very sad for a lot of the university people in Ireland in particular that basically nearly all their courses were online. They got maybe three or four years of a university course. They never got to meet their classmates. Everything was online and they lost a huge life experience. Yeah, you'd hope that these days it's become a more of a priority for those universities. And like we're saying, we've seen the universities here taking it on board and really driving that on and being serious about it. So it's great to see. But yeah, definitely, again, it's going to be the same thing. It's the cost, the economic impact of if you go to the government to go, OK, we're going to need X million a year to roll this out across all schools. A lot of time the funding's not there. Yeah, like we were just saying, hopefully as these regulations and as these you know, recommendations are taken more seriously, that does become a bigger priority for school funding, for companies to make an investment in their buildings and their infrastructure. That's it, yeah. Like I've said, the benefits can be huge for the people in those spaces. And and I think like that, yeah, we need to put the people first in a lot of these cases and really value the work that they're doing and the output that they can have and try to put them in the best environments that they can. 
for universities, I, I guess it's the same in, in every country, but you want to be showing people that we're of this standard, we're this class, we're providing the best environment for students. Let's pivot to a set of rapid-fire questions which come from our sponsored partner, TE Connectivity. Connecting engineers with innovative products to create a safer, sustainable, and productive future. TE Connectivity's broad portfolio serves applications across industrial, energy, automotive, and more. Explore more from them by visiting mauser.com slash te-connectivity. Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Wars, I'm afraid. Really? <laughs> I have been a Trekker for a gazillion years, but some of the new Star Wars shows are just absolutely amazing. Yeah, I was always a Next Generation fan growing up, but I think that was probably the, the key moment for me around Star Trek. I got a bit lost either side of Next Generation, but uh, yeah, Star Wars being fairly consistent. Of the products you've developed, which one are you the most proud of? I think it's the very first Ambier uh, product that we came up with. Uh, there was a shift within the company at the time. So we'd done a lot of outdoor air quality and outdoor air monitoring. And again, it just came from concept, you know, of, of what we wanted to do as a company and make this shift. So we didn't start from from a blank piece of paper and we drove that on and, and just, yeah, changing it. And, and the team that we had really stepped up, you know, through as well. So really proud of the work that, that they've done and the efforts that they've put in over time. But yeah, I think the, the Ambier sort of core first product that we, we put together was uh, just, yeah, really proud of it as, as a product for, for myself. Terrific. What ingredients are your favorite burger on the ultimate burger for Ronan? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you got to have cheese. Of obviously, course. You know. uh, what type though? Well, Ireland, we're rearing on cheddar cheese. So a, a, a good a good cheddar there, I think. Uh, plenty of that. But I th- I, I'm simple. You know, I, I love my food. But when it comes to a burger, I don't like messing around. I don't like eggs or any of this sort of thing <laughs> on it that some places go a bit crazy on. So No, no kimchi or anything <laughs> like that? <laughs> no, definitely not. I think good quality, you know, thick, thick burger itself, you know, nice juicy burger, cheese, and then, you know, a nice mayo. I think that's it. I'm, I'm done. I'm happy. Yep. For know? me, add some bacon on it. I am real simple as well. Cheese, bacon mayo, a little bit of mustard. Yeah, happy days. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So for Ambisense, I know Ambisense works all over Europe and whatnot. What's been your favorite deployment location? Oh, it's a tough one. I think for me, uh, with the indoor air quality stuff, it's just in some of the universities. To see universities really step up and link the productivity of the students and where they are and take control of that situation. Again, there was no mandates around it. They didn't have to do it. And, you know, universities and, and any other schools, you know, budgets are always sort of tight, but they carved out specifically some some money to do that in, in, in Dublin, in particular one of the universities we're working with. And they put them everywhere through the whole school, you know, staff rooms, everywhere. And it was just great to see and the enthusiasm that they had for that project and, and to take that on and, and want the data. You know, whereas at the time, a lot of people were, were scared, you know, and to go, oh, what if the data shows us we've got serious problems through the whole school and it's going to cost millions to fix it. But they wanted to know the information because they, they wanted to and share that. Like like I was saying, they were one of the schools where we put the, the stickers up through a, a lot of different rooms. So students felt a bit more comfortable. And, you know, there was that anxiety of people going back into a busy classroom after COVID. And can I sit beside somebody or not? And what's happening with the air and, and things like that. And, and just to put that bit of ease from the university to show their students that they cared about them at, at that level. For me, it was just really interesting and I just commended them really well. You know, it was uh, very good to see. 
Terrific. Describe hurling. Because <laughs> I've read about it. I cannot picture it. <laughs> well, they, they call it, I think, one of the fastest games in the world. But it's um, basically you have a hurl, which is like a stick. It's a bit sort of fatter on the end that's made out of ash. And then you have, it's called a slitter, which is a, a ball. It's a hard ball. And basically you have to hit the ball over a goalpost. So you have a goal's bit like an American football sort of goals. So there's an, a net, say, at the bottom and then two very tall vertical poles. So if it goes, if it goes over the, the between the poles, over the bar, it's one point. If it goes in the net, you get three points. So it's, um, yeah, very classic, very historical Irish game. Probably hundreds of years old and things like that. Again, it's an amateur sport. All, you know, Gaelic football in, in Ireland and, and hurling are, are both amateur, but the skill levels and the, the training is uh, is really, really high. So it's an amazing game to watch. I'd, I'd recommend anybody go onto YouTube, put in hurling and watch a bit of a match. The skill levels are, are phenomenal. So it's a great sport to watch. Sounds great. Definitely on my list now. <laughs> what would you be doing if you weren't an engineer? Oh, that's a that's another good question. I suppose I'm I'm always tinkering. It's always been something since I was very small of how do things work. You know, it's always been a thing for me. And and the last few years, I get into a lot of uh, like upcycling, so furniture and um and and reusing things as well. So like the whole sustainability thing has become really interesting for me. And and just keeping things alive more. You know, I, I love going to to shows, seeing old bits of furniture, things that look on the edge of you know maybe going for the the rubbish tip and and taking them home, showing them a bit of love. You know, paint them up or or do whatever. So like uh, my house has all got. I'd say 50% maybe the furniture we have has been claimed from somewhere else and, and done up and um, different things like that. So, yeah, I'd, I'd probably be, if it didn't have to work, it, it doesn't pay very well. It's probably the only thing. I hate that, huh? <laughs> if I didn't have to worry about finances, I'd probably be uh, tipping away in a, in a workshop somewhere. Uh, absolutely. So anyways, Rada. I want to thank you so much for your insight. Really appreciate your time and talking to us a little bit just about the air in our offices and our buildings. Really do appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Raymond. It's been great to talk and it's a subject I'm really passionate about and it's uh, really important. So hopefully people out there will will focus on it and do one thing at least to try and improve the air quality in in the spaces that they, they work and live in. Thanks for joining us for part one of our conversation with Ronan Cooney. Be sure to catch our next episode as we dive deeper into environmental sensors. If you'd like to learn more about this technology, the Tech Between Us podcast is just one piece of Mauser's in-depth look at this subject. Explore the entire Empowering Innovation Together content series at mauser.com slash empowering innovation for technical articles, use cases, and more. Ensuring that every connection counts. TE Connectivity delivers engineers a broad product portfolio of connectivity and sensor solutions, ranging from applications in industrial, energy, automotive, and more. To learn how they're creating a safer, sustainable, and connected future, visit mauser.com forward slash TE connectivity.